It's WNRI's Upfront. The opinions expressed represent those only of the panel and callers and do not reflect the views of WNRI and its owners. Telephone lines are now open at 7690600. And now, let's join the Upfront panel. Hi, everybody, and uh, welcome to uh, the Upfront program for this Wednesday morning. I'm Roger Bouchard, and uh, I'm, uh, I'm here in the building Monday through Friday. Dick Bouchard takes over on Mondays, and John Brian uh, does our program on Fridays. And I'm here Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, um, Tuesdays and Thursday sometimes with um, Christopher Boulay. He'll be back tomorrow. And today is an open line conversation. Anything you want to talk about, you can talk about. And uh, we'll be joined by Jeff Gamash a little bit later on. But um, one of the topics I want to bring up is uh, history. I love history. And certainly um, we should know about our history. And we're going to talk about uh, one of the... um, People who make up, uh, shall we say, Northern Rhode Island history. The um, the man who was, um, um, you know, when you see the Blackstone River, we named the Blackstone River after William Blackstone. We'll chat about him with uh, Dr. Patrick Conley, Rhode Island's historian laureate, in a few minutes um, here on the program. But we've got some other things that we uh, want to mention. First of all, congratulations are in order for... Um, Philip Gould, who is he? Why are we congratulating him? Well, he is the um, police captain in Lincoln who's been living in Lincoln since 2020, 21 years now, raised his family there with his wife, Jill. He decided to run for office and fill the uh, post of T. Lincoln Alman, the town administrator, who stepped aside so he could join the the staff of uh, Governor Dan McKee, Mr. Alman, became the deputy chief of staff. And so, as a result of that absence in the town administrator's office, that opened up, um, that opened up a special election that was held yesterday. And clear and away, Lincoln voters wanted Mr. Gould as their um, town administrator because um, he got 64% of the votes cast in that ballot. His closest competitor... Um, Senator Thomas Paolino uh, got um, 808 votes, or 19% of the vote. So clearly, Philip Gould was the guy they wanted to lead Lincoln. So now it's happened, and uh, the election results have to be certified by the Board of Elections, and a ceremony has got to be planned, and um, Lincoln will have its new town administrator in place um, in a few weeks. So congratulations to Mr. Gould for his outstanding performance in yesterday's town election. And uh, the other um, story I want to bring up, and maybe we can uh, talk about it after we finish with uh, Dr. Conley and chatting with him about uh, history in the Blackstone Valley. The other story is the police cameras. Now, we already have them here in Woonsocket, Pawtucket, and Cranston. And the American Civil Liberties Union has written to uh, the mayor of the city of Woonsocket. I don't know if the mayor or the city council has received their letters yet. Uh, but uh, in the uh, news story, the uh, ACL, the American Civil Liberties Union said, We have written the letters to all members of the town council in the three communities, including Woonsocket, and the mayor saying that they should uh, stop the um, special use of those cameras uh, that were installed a few weeks ago. And uh, what are they called? They're called license plate recognition cameras. And um, if you want to see what they look like, uh, because they're rather, um, I would say, discreet, you'll find them uh, down by uh, River Falls Restaurant. Yeah, there's, uh, I think, three of them installed down there. And uh, the ACLU is saying that uh, the expansion of these camera programs into more extensive and intrusive types of surveillance only compounds the seriousness of the lack of safeguards surrounding their usage, and they would like them pulled away. And so we'll see, because the Woonsocket City Council is meeting this coming Monday night, whether A, they receive the letters, and B, whether um, any of the council members uh, want to follow the... uh, suggestion of the 
American Civil Liberties Union or let them stay there and let the tests be conducted. And then we can make up our mind whether we would like to lease or purchase any of these um, cameras. Anyway, that's what um, is one of the stories uh, today. Then there's a whole bunch of other things, too. So certainly hope you'll uh, stay right along with us. You're on Daybreak Southern New England from WNRI. And this is the Upfront program. And we're going to pause for a few commercials and then we'll... uh, We'll, do- we'll talk to Dr. Conley. Scott McGee of REMAX Properties brings his years of real estate experience to you, whether buying or selling. Check out this property currently on the market from the McGee team. All right, this is a specialized property, that's for sure. Uh, built in 1932, it's a bungalow-style house at the corner at uh, 548 Providence Street here in Woonsocket. Six bedrooms, and there are two bathrooms um, in it, and uh, it's... Um, it's a property that um, has a finished recreational room in the lower level. It's a property that has um, two garages, two-car garage, and has been updated by the state of Rhode Island. High-efficiency boiler and more. Why would you say the state of Rhode Island has updated it? Because it was a former children's care home. Uh, when it was built in the 1930s, it was a private residence and stayed that way uh, right through uh, the 50s and 60s and so forth. State bought it, turned it into a child care home, used it for a number of years, and now it is back on the market as a private piece of property. And uh, you will find tons of space in this bungalow-style home, and Scott McGee would like to show it to you. Why don't you give him a call at 639-2906. At 639-2906, Scott McGee would like to show you this beautiful uh, property. And uh, it is on Providence Street here in Woonsocket. All right, we have uh, one more message and then we'll uh, talk to uh, Dr. Conley. Hi, my name is Kim Garno, and I'm a Reiki master practitioner and owner of Kiem Healing. Reiki comes from two words, Rei, meaning God's wisdom, and Ki, meaning life force energy. By unblocking poor circulation flow, your body's energy can flow as it should. Reiki provides healing energy in a natural, holistic way through light massage. Reiki relieves anxiety and stress, fosters a better night's sleep, relaxes sore muscles, balances the body's energy and adapts to your individual needs. Reiki is recognized by major hospitals throughout the United States for promoting healing. Call for an appointment at 401-769-0438. We are located at 86 Bellingham Street in Woonsocket, Rhode Island. Blessings to you and good health. Call Kim at KM Healing for your consultation or appointment at 769-0438. Listening to WNRI's Upfront, a radio internet talk show. Now, let's get back to the panel. All right, we're back here on the Upfront program on this uh, Wednesday morning. And I um, placed a call out to uh, Dr. Uh, Patrick Conley to uh, chat a little bit with us on an interesting topic. And he uh, agreed to do that. And so we have him on our live line. How are you doing today? Very good, Roger. Good. We'll uh, get to it in a second. Just a little bit on uh, Dr. Conley for our audience. Uh, a PC graduate back in 59, Suffolk uh, University uh, law g- a graduate in 73. He's a lawyer. And uh, has code all... I was counting your books. I, I counted. Uh, may- I may be wrong, uh, but it looks like you you authored 13 books and co-authored six, uh, give or take one or two. Uh, is that uh, fairly accurate? No, you're actually uh, looking at an old resume. Uh-huh. Uh, the total is 34 now. <laughs> I've, been a, I've been a busy beaver over the last few yeah. years. All right, let me change that. Uh, 34. All right. one, other thing, one other thing you, you forgot, Notre Dame. That's my true alma mater. And, uh, so I, I have a master's and doctorate there, too. Yeah, so. I see that right don't, in. Don't forget the... Don't forget the Fighting Irish. There. Yeah, and uh, see, I see with highest honors in 1970, right, with the Ph.D. So um, yes. congratulations. Um, so uh, you've always had a, a great interest um, in in history and particularly, I guess, in Rhode Island uh, history. Uh, it was right off the right off the bat, even when you, when you were at LaSalle, were you interested in uh, history? No, I was interested in sports and girls, uh-huh. uh, but I, I developed a, an interest in history uh, basically at uh, Providence College. Uh, uh, I had a mentor by the name of Cornelius, Father Cornelius Forster, 
uh, who was a, a great influence on me. And then when I went to Notre Dame, of course, it became more than an interest, but a profession. Well, thank you for uh, agreeing to chat with us a little bit. And so well, this all came about um, when um, when we came across a few um, a few articles about um, William Blackstone. And um, and what happened is that uh, in in Pawtucket, the Blackstone Valley Tourism Council uh, around August 20th put up a statue uh, in honor of uh, William Blackstone, and then uh, some uh, Native Americans from the Narragansett Indian tribe apparently uh, didn't like the fact that such a statue was being constructed and would highlight uh, him, and uh, so uh, they have objected. And in my own, I am not a, uh, a great student of history, but I certainly uh, know a little bit about William Blackstone. My impression, uh, Patrick, is that William Blackstone was uh, a rather passive and introverted and uh, very religious uh, man and uh, got along very nicely with uh, the Native Americans when he came down from Boston into uh, into Rhode Island. And so um, I'm not quite sure whether uh, that was um, a, an objection to, um, to him uh, that should have been stated. And then I read your piece in the Pawtucket Times and when Socket called, and you went right to the defense of William Blackstone. So maybe we could pick it up right there. Well, yes. Uh, uh, Blackstone, uh, is, as you described him, uh, other than passive, because anybody that had get on a ship and go to America and uh, sail out, uh, sail into uh, what was a wilderness in 1625, wouldn't be passive. But he certainly was, as you say, devout. He was bookish. He had a great relationship with the Native Americans. He was the first settler in Boston, settled on Beacon Hill. Uh, had a little little uh, taste there for the high-end real estate in 1625. But then the Puritans came, and the Puritan he was an Anglican minister. The Puritans were trying to change the Anglican Church to purify it from Roman Catholic traditions that had persisted. And uh, then, of course, the Pilgrims were there in Plymouth in 1620 and thereafter, and they were even more extreme than the Puritans. Uh, the Pilgrims wanted to break away. They were separatists. They wanted to break away from uh, Anglicanism. In fact, they become the uh, the founders, of, the two of them, of American Congregationalism. So he didn't particularly like his neighbors in Boston. He moved to a relatively isolated spot, which he called Study Hill, built a house called Study Hall. And uh, that's what he did a lot. He, he studied uh, religion and, and botany and other things. He's credited, as a matter of fact, with... Uh, uh, developing a a uh, the first American variety of apple, and uh, uh, so uh, it's it's just strange to me if if uh, these protesters, of course, the Narragansetts, which is a one strange thing also. The tribe doesn't endorse this, but these are just individuals. I don't know if you'd call them renegades or what you'd call them, but this was Wampanoag land. The Seekonk Wampanoag owned the land up in the uh, along the uh, Blackstone uh, River. As a matter of fact, uh, a very good friend of mine, uh, Wilfred, they used to call him Wild Willie, uh, Wilfred uh, Green, a seventh-ranked middleweight in the world, uh, or my childhood friend and the godfather of my son, was the chief of, of the Wampanoags until his death of, about five years ago. And I donated over 50 you know, acres of land to the Seekonk, and of course they didn't get a lot of cooperation from the town of Cumberland, but that was Wampanoag land, not Narragansett land, and why uh, the Narragansetts would raise uh, a, an issue. I mean, if they want to attack someone, attack the Pilgrims or the Puritans or Benjamin Church, the victorious uh, uh, leader of uh, of the um, uh, the settlers in King Philip's War, <clears throat> but not, not as, uh, you know, they've really picked the wrong person when they picked Blackstone. What I think mainly is there are a lot of people that can't make it on their own in this free and open and competitive society. And because of that, they have intense resentments, and the resentments are against society and the system. So what do they do? They rebel, uh, they demonstrate, they petition, they knock down uh, and destroy symbols of the existing system and the existing order uh, and uh, mindlessly. And and that's, that's what is going on here with... Uh, with Blackstone. As a matter of fact, I I said that uh, in the conclusion of my essay, uh, 
And I'll just read a little from that, that the premise of the statue's detractors is that some whites abused Native Americans, and they did, and they're, but therefore all whites are guilty and evil, even an eccentric, bookish, and isolated minister such as William Blackstone. This is classic guilt by association, no matter how tenuous. It is an unhistorical bill of attainder equivalent to the droppings of Blackstone's famous white bull that he used to ride uh, from Study Hill uh, into Providence to get supplies and books. And uh, so uh, uh, if you, yeah, that's, all, that's all this uh, protest is. Uh, there's a fellow up, I guess, in the Blackstone Valley by the name of Kazarian who has no historical study or qualifications, degrees or anything else, and he's kind of uh, has joined in in the uh, campaign against the statue. I guess he had nothing better to do. Uh, I have, and people who uh, uh, are uh, content to, with the society as it is, as it gradually improves, uh, don't go out and knock down statues or uh, engage in unfounded protests. My little knowledge of William Blackstone came from a, a commission book written by Louise Lynn, uh, Sage of the Wilderness. I have it in my library at home, and I always got the impression that um, Blackstone was, uh, shall we say, a, a very quiet, um, uh, unassuming uh, individual who uh, was friendly to uh, the natives in the area. And you've certainly pointed that out, that it was true. Yeah, Louise Lind, I knew her well and uh, worked with her on a couple of historical projects back in the in the 1990s. Uh, uh, we have that book because uh, Blackstone, as a result of her efforts, was inducted in 1995 into the Rhode Island Heritage Hall of Fame, and justly so. And, uh, you know, as the president of the Rhode Island Hall of Fame now, I, I naturally spring to the defense of anybody that we thought enough of to put in the Rhode Island Hall of Fame when that person is unjustly attacked, as uh, is the case with uh, William Blackstone. Patrick, but what do you call uh, Indians or First Nation people uh, in the uh, 20, 2021? I mean, what is the, the right term uh, to use when you're uh, discussing uh, the, um, the, the original settlers of this area? I call them Native Americans because uh -huh. they were here before the whites. They choose that. Uh, I have a high regard for them. Like I say, Wilfred Green, the chief of the Wampanoags, was one of my best, closest friends and the, the godfather of my son. So Native Americans is good. Indians actually, I mean, that's what the general name is, but that's a misnomer. Uh, when uh, Columbus's uh, four, during Columbus's four voyages, where he was actually headed over to the Orient, to China, uh, he thought he was in the East Indies, and so the indigenous people that he saw, uh, you know, he and his crew referred to them as Indians, and the name stuck. About a course, and of course, then it became <laughs> the area became the West Indies. But uh, uh, I, I don't think Indians is is a um, is the preferred term historically, and I and the Native Americans themselves would prefer to be called that. It, it, it confers a certain degree of of dignity upon them. You've got the greatest country in the world, and these are the natives. Uh, of course, uh, you know, way back it was barren. They probably came across the Bering Land Bridge and, and settled North America, or maybe across the Pacific, as Contiki attempted to prove, and settled in, in Central and South America. They came from somewhere else. In other words, they were immigrants too, but many, many years before, and they controlled uh, the land upon which... Uh, uh, the whites uh, from Europe uh, settled in the 17th, 18th, to the 19th century, for that matter. I apologize uh, for asking you a question that I didn't um, talk to you on the phone about, but I'm going to take a shot at it. Yeah. Anyway, but um, as you were discussing things, what about uh, uh, paybacks or reparations for for the um, for the Native Americans uh, uh, for the evil things that, uh, quote-unquote, the white man has done, or for that matter, uh, uh, people who are black Americans. What, what do you think about that? Well, I'm not in favor of reparations uh, generally, yeah. particularly as it would uh, concern reparations for slavery. Uh, what I do favor, and not general handouts of money to Native Americans, but where there is land, 
that um, it may be federal land or undeveloped land that is particularly important to Native Americans or where there is a treaty negotiated by the government of the United States uh, that has been violated and the land taken uh, in those instances, I think the Native Americans especially have a much greater claim. As a matter of fact, my wife is a major uh, uh, exponent and supporter of uh, Brown University uh, turning over about 300 acres uh, at, in Mount Hope, the Mount Hope lands in Bristol, to the Poconocans. That's where the Poconocans were the, uh, the Native Americans that came to Plymouth in 1621 and participated in what we now call the the first thanksgiving and that land is not of any use whatsoever to brown it was donated to them by the half and family uh they regard it as somewhat of a uh, uh an extraordinarily important site in their history king phillips chair is located on there which is uh has been called by some of the earlier historians the leading geological site uh, uh for native americans in all of new england so things like that, uh, on a piecemeal basis here and there, uh, I definitely support. Uh, but the, the general policy of reparations, particularly as it's been advanced, <laughs> not for the uh, not for the Native Americans, but for for the descendants of slaves, I I do, I do not support that at all. My my people, uh, you know, we pay taxes, and my people were picking potatoes over in in Ireland at the time uh, uh, that the uh, civil war took place so i don't feel responsible uh, and nor do i think many americans uh for the existence of the evil of slavery thank god it's gone and uh most of the vestiges of slavery uh have been removed uh there's still certainly uh prejudice the only way i think that you would cure uh racism and prejudice and bigotry uh, is to eliminate the human race because all of that tends to be a part of human nature that has to be overcome. So the best way to make a perfect society is uh, is make a perfect human. And uh, uh, I don't see that uh, coming uh, anytime soon. Dr. Conley, why does Brown want to hold on to uh, land that's of no use uh, to, uh, to it? Why doesn't it make uh, good guys of themselves and hand it over to them? Well, that's that's what I can't understand. They have an endowment of almost five billion dollars. Yeah, and and there was the Half and Repa Museum of Anthropology there, and they could continue to maintain that, upgrade it because it was a museum of of Native American history, and they'd be great heroes. That'd be like the the crown jewel in this site, and then the Poconocans could uh, you know do other things of an educational nature as they're trying to do on a smaller scale to show the Native American culture, Native American traditions. I mean, it's a perfect site, a perfect workshop for, for that, with, with Brown still to a degree involved by, uh, by maintaining and uh, expanding uh, the uh, museum, uh, the Happen Repa Museum there. But uh, uh, sometimes, uh, uh, you know, the academicians, uh, they are a little bit out of the real world as well. And uh, the tends when you get for five billion dollar endowment, it tends to make you a little bit arrogant towards supplicants. And uh, uh, but you'd have to ask Brown uh, about that because uh, uh, it makes no sense, uh, Roger, uh, to me or to you. Well. Um, this all started with William Blackstone, and, and what this did for me personally is it's reawakened my interest in Rhode Island history. So therefore. In looking at um, many of the titles of your books and then looking at maybe titles of other authors on Rhode Island history, if there's um, a listener to our program who is not a scholar, like I am no scholar, that's for sure, but would like a good overview uh, of uh, Rhode Island history with all the books you've written and others, can you recommend one as a good starting pl place like a primer? Um, yes, uh, the one book, and, and the great part about it, it's got a lot of pictures. It's got okay. over 200 uh, There you go. <laughs> with, with, with lengthy captions under each picture explaining. It's called the album because it's pictorial, but it's got over 100,000 words of history, too. It's called the album of Rhode Island history. I wrote it for the 350th anniversary of the state back in 1986. Mm -hmm. And the album of Rhode Island history... 
uh, bargain price, twenty nine ninety five, and it's uh, available through the Rhode Island Publications Society and uh, ripublications.org, or you can call 272-1776, a, name that was, a number that was given to me when I chaired RI 76 way back in the last century, uh, and uh, that was the um, commission that celebrated American independence, so I... I carried that uh, number with me and and to the Publication Society, which was uh, one of the committees of RI-76. So 272-1776, an album of Rhode Island history. Uh, this, I think uh, uh, it treats every group sympathetically. Uh, there's a, quite a bit of information on the various, uh, not only on uh, the Native Americans and blacks and, you know, the so-called minorities, uh, but also on all of the uh, groups that migrated uh, to America from Europe, the Irish, the French Canadians, uh, the, uh, the Italians and Polish and Jews and Armenians and Greeks, on and on. Every one of them is alluded to with a, uh, with a nice uh, photo of a cultural event that, they are, that they're holding with a lengthy caption uh, describing uh, their uh, Rhode Island experience. Well, just to, to finish up here, uh, uh, an overview uh, of the situation. Looks like William Blackstone and maybe many, many others who uh, who settled um, uh, in Rhode Island or Massachusetts, for that matter, um, were not um, were not bad people and were not uh, bad to the Native Americans who were here. But I think there's a very clear um uh, uh painting with one you know with one brush that anybody who came from europe and settled here uh was um was uh, you know not uh, not good to uh, native americans and i i think that uh i think you've kind of sort of pointed out that some people get caught in caught in the um in the undertow <laughs> so to speak and uh really yeah. had no uh, no real real bad relations uh, with our native americans yeah i would say uh, that that's true but uh, but less so with the English settlers than with the French and with the Spanish, particularly with the French, who uh, uh, embraced them, intermarried with the Native Americans, uh, uh, worked to convert them to Catholicism, but not by force. Uh, the, the French were far better towards the Native Americans, the French than than the English. Uh, as a matter of fact, here in New England. Uh, you know, a person like Blackstone and Roger Williams, they're exceptions to the rule. So if I had to, if I had to uh, say, well, you know, conduct a, a poll, uh, I would say that probably a majority of the white settlers in New England uh, had a very uh, dim view, if not hostile, towards Native Americans. There were a substantial number that didn't, but... Uh, um, you know, th there was that uh, definite hostility, uh, you know, and uh, unfortunately the hostility between uh, the Native Americans and the whites was provoked by the whites, particularly the pilgrims, with their land grabbing uh, against the Wampanoag. And uh, King Philip uh, said enough is enough, uh, or buster as the Italians might say. And uh, when he uh, made this conclusion that there had been enough uh, animosity and deceit and land grabbing and his, his, his uh, older brother might have even been poisoned on a trip to, to Plymouth uh, then he uh, struck back in King Philip's war and uh, that drew some of the other Native Americans into it particularly with a sneak attack uh, in the winter of, of uh, 1675 on the Narragansetts by the combined forces, not of Anglicans, but, but of the Puritans and the Pilgrims that, that had settled the colonies around Rhode Island, uh, like Plymouth, Massachusetts Bay, Connecticut, and the colony of New Haven. So, um, you know, there was a, a, definitely a culture clash here, an antagonism that developed after, you know, an initial promising uh, beginning uh, there in, in Plymouth. So it's a com very, very complex, uh, yeah. uh, you know, uh, situation. There's a book that won, uh, just won the uh, uh, the Bancroft Prize in History in 2019. Very thick book uh, that's called Our Beloved Kin. 
and it's the story of the events leading up to King Philip's War, our beloved King, uh, Ken, rather, and uh, uh, Lisa Brooks, B-R-O-O-K-S, is the author. So somebody who really wants to know Native American history in great depth, uh, that's a good book to start with. Well, we're going to end on a lighter note. Um, uh, you explain by going through the back door. I was telling my wife the other day that my uh, my grandmother uh, and her sisters and my uncles uh, from Canada, um, they looked Native American to, <laughs> to me. And uh, yeah. uh, apparently that's exactly what happened is that the, the French uh, settling in the... Um, Quebec uh, provinces, um, uh, they uh, they took to the population, and um, and that explains uh, why uh, so many uh, French Canadians in this area may look a little Native American, huh? Yeah, they may well. It's all they have to do is is either ancestry dot com or, or or do one of those uh, uh, gene uh, uh, studies and. Uh, you'd be surprised uh, how much uh, they might learn uh, from that. Uh, I did one one of those studies, and actually, uh, you, you know, going way way back, and it came back, and I ended up six percent Neanderthal, which um, <laughs> which may account for the fact that I was uh, Golden Gloves champ back in 1959, trained by Wild Willie Green, Chief Eagle Hot. Okay. So, uh, so uh, you, you never know. If you go back far enough, uh, but, uh, you know, if, frankly, if I had Native American blood, which I don't, uh, I'd be proud. Thank you, Patrick, for joining us and uh, giving us a little background on William Blackstone. And my apologies for drifting adrift. <laughs> oh, that's perfectly all right. I'm, I, can, I was vaccinated with a phonograph needle. And we'll see you up in Woonsocket in October when we uh, start announcing that event coming up here, okay? Oh, that's a mammoth event. That's Al Bopalant as a Cecil B. DeMille event it's a the ending of world war ii all right uh, it's going to be commemorated and when soccer will be proud all right thank you again uh, and uh, thanks for taking my call and spending some time with us bye-bye okay thank you very much roger all right dr patrick conley always a pleasure chatting with him inducted into uh, the rhode island heritage hall of fame uh, back in 1995 appointed the first ever historian uh, laureate uh, of Rhode Island in July of uh, 2012, as you uh, heard, uh, the author of 34 books. Uh, it's just a remarkable career that he has had, uh, not only as a, is he a lawyer, a historian, um, uh, entrepreneur. He's just a really quite an interesting individual. Thank you for being with us on this segment. Inside or outside dining, or your favorite pickup order from Grumpy's Restaurant in Bellingham. Open seven days a week with a great luncheon menu and a full menu from burgers to steaks to seafood and mouth-watering Italian dishes, including pizzas, on one of the best menus in the area. Hungry today or tonight? Come in and enjoy friendly service, reasonable prices, and great food at Grumpy's. Call ahead for pickup or to place a reservation to dine in at 508-883-0101. Grumpy's Restaurant, 190 Pulaski Boulevard in Bellingham. Grubhub delivery is available. Wright's Dairy Farm and Bakery has good news. We're fully open to our customers. And our fall menu is here, including rustic apple tots with cinnamon sugar apple filling. Gourmet caramel apples drizzled with chocolate. Apple dumplings topped with icing and sliced almonds. Apple ring cake and muffins, including cranberry apple, pumpkin, and apple. The ice cream shop, Wright Scoop, has some great fall flavors, too, including salted caramel, pumpkin and pumpkin Oreo, apple crisp sundae, ice cream and brown butter pecan all located at 200 Woonsocket Hill Road North Smithfield and our hours right now are Sunday through Wednesday 9 to 6 Thursday through Saturday 8 to 7 oh and did I tell you the cows are milk daily from 3 to 4 30 p.m. at Wright's Dairy Farm and Bakery yeah Wright's uh, they always uh, do a nice job and uh, may I highly recommend uh, that uh, if you're looking for some uh, employment uh, that you uh, give rights a call because we're looking for some counter help and we're looking for cake decorators and uh, we're looking for people um, uh, on our bakery production staff. Uh, we are Wright's Dairy Farm and Bakery. Now back to that uh, Grumpy's commercial. 
I'm going to have uh, Jeff validate this. What happens is when you go in there on a Monday through Thursday basis, they give you a regular menu and then they give you their $10 dinner specials. And I steal these menus every once in a while. And there is a bona fide lifted. That is. Right, that is uh, t- taken right from uh, I. You know, the, uh, the wait staff brings the, the menus over, and then they bring this piece of paper over. And then uh, when she leaves, I quietly fold it up and put it in my, uh, my jacket so that I can tell you what kind of $10 dinner specials they have at, um, at Grumpy's. Like, for instance, not tonight, but recently when I took this, these are $10 meals, baked stuffed shells, uh, full meal with a with a side of your choice oven baked meatloaf full meal with two sides of your choice lasagna homemade with garlic bread uh roast beef au jus with uh two homemade sides this is tender roast beef gently heated and topped with uh that juice so good shepherd's pie lean angus ground beef Slow simmered with kernel corn and a rich brown pan gravy. And topped with red bliss mashed potatoes and baked until golden brown. All these, the baked stuff shells, the oven baked meatloaf, lasagna homemade, roast beef with the juice, and the shepherd's pie. All those are $10 specials. Not tonight necessarily, because they change every night, Monday through Thursday. What are we talking about? We're talking about the good folks over at Grumpy's in South Bellingham. And now I've got to play the official rejoin music. Otherwise, um, we wouldn't be officially into the next segment of the program. This is Radio Talk. You're listening to WNRI's Upfront, a radio internet talk show. Now, let's get back to the panel. So you're a fan of Dr. Conley, too, right? Um, uh, hi, Jeff. You don't need yeah. a microphone. Now, nah, I'll just, shout. Just shout. Open the window. The I'll yell at everybody. Uh, you always spent a lot of time. Uh, one of the privileges of working sound and video jobs was many, many years at things like the Hall of Fame inductions. And I get to spend different time with Dr. Conley because I'm backstage waiting on events all the time. And when you get to spend that type of downtime with a person like Dr. Conley, you end up in all sorts of conversations that you normally wouldn't be in. Uh, and, you know, one thing about uh, Dr. Conley, he's, he's incredibly wise and, and a humble man, but he's a very funny man as well. A lot of people don't know he's got a terrific sense of humor. All right. Well, Dr. Conley, uh, he uh, was our guest this morning. We uh, gave him a call uh, at his office yesterday and uh, set up the interview, told him what we wanted to talk about. And um, and he agreed to do it. And then he talked about some topics that we didn't agree to talk about. But that's what happens sometimes in an interview. All right. What do you want to do uh, with uh, this segment of the show, Jeff? Well, we got two on hold. Uh, uh, also, uh, before we wrap up the program, I'd like to cover this uh, Autumn Fest uh, news release that came in yesterday from some new activities people can uh, take part in as far as uh, sports and fitness are concerned. I don't like to keep callers waiting when they're on hold, giving us their time. So let's get to those phone lines. I believe this line came in first, so okay. we'll go in the order of entry. Good morning. Welcome to the Upfront program. Good morning. Very quickly. Hi. Uh, I, as you know, I've often told you, I was a student of Dr. Conley's and a friend invited to his home many times for his birthday. Um, so you know his sense of humor. <laughs> oh, my God. He's hilarious. <laughs> Uh, he, he used to always say to me, um, I love Arabic women. They're so intense. <laughs> yeah. and, but it's very subtle humor. But yeah. very quickly, um, Brown University, the issue about all the land that's owned. I, see, I did not know that. I, there isn't much Conley doesn't know. That That's the thing. And he's very down to earth. His wife is delightful. Blah, blah, blah. But. It shows kind of the hypocrisy of the left again. They Brown University is like the liberal stronghold of uh, practically New England, certainly of Rhode Island. And yet they could easily do something or fairly easily with all of that land, but they don't. So I don't know anything about it. That was the first time I heard that they own 300 acres. So anyway, just an observation about liberal, the left in general. So I go on about the left enough, so I'm going to hang up. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Thank you. 
All right, we have another caller. We'll get to that line, and uh, welcome to the Upfront program. Good morning. Well, when Dr. Conley mentioned about people who can't make it in America, which is absolutely ridiculous, anybody who wants to make it in America can. I'm proof, okay? I'm doing well. I made it in America. But all I could think of was the squad. The biggest group of people who misfits who just don't care, can't make it, and have to destroy what they can't be a part of. Okay? So... I rate a Dr. Conley for him pointing that out once again. We need to know where these people come from. And if anything, we need to destroy them before they destroy us. Let's face it. This is war. We need to destroy the squad. Now, the other thing that concerns me, these plate-reading cameras. You know, I guess it's fine over in Europe where they really don't have rights. But here in America, we have rights to privacy. I know the road, the road itself was one of the few things that they claim is public that really is public. But still, do you want to be in a situation where basically, because of the fact that you were there, you now have to prove your innocence because we tracked you down because you happen to be somewhere. Guilt by association, guilt by just, you traveled down that road, someone got murdered in some house, now... Prove you weren't there, because we know you were in the area. We can break your plate. The answer to your question is yes. Go ahead. (laughs) Yes, I don't mind. Go ahead. Well, there's a slippery oh, yes. slope caller I think you're, you're alluding to. When the cameras started popping up in Providence and Pawtucket, they were used exclusively to catch speeders in school zones. They weren't tracking license plates. They weren't tracking individuals. But this new program that's being tested is taking it to another level. So I understand your point. It's gone from uh, speeding in school zones to now tracking people as they move through a community uh, strictly looking at license plates and identification. So it, it is quite a change from what was happening in Pawtucket and Providence to what's being experimented here in Woonsocket. And, and realistically, I mean, this stuff that just isn't anybody's business. And hmm. are these cameras also going to be able to take pictures from the front and tell who's in the car? Or is that what's next? Well, you know, on the speed trap ones, they do take photo, and I, I think it depends if it's day or night, but, uh, you know, Dina got caught, uh, I want to say, in uh, Pawtucket um, with a little heavy on the gas, and you could see her, <laughs> you could see her behind the wheel, <laughs> but it was daylight. Well, I guess, so I guess if you've got problems at home with your wife, and, you're <laughs> and you happen to be seeing someone else. Maybe you're already getting a divorce. I've read about people in the Air Force. The guy's already in divorce court. He's getting a divorce, and they kicked me out of the Air Force because he was technically cheating on his wife because he's not divorced yet. So you're running for office. You're getting a divorce. And all of a sudden, there's this picture with you and your new girlfriend caught by this camera. Now, the picture wasn't supposed to be released to the press, but, oh, oops, it did. No, no, we need to get rid of these things. We need to nip this in the butt now. Thank you. Appreciate your call. I'll just remind him, though, we are in a politically correct uh, time era. It very well could be the guy could be driving down the street with his new boyfriend as well. I just want to be politically correct on that. That's not always a girlfriend. The number is 769-0600. If you've got something that you'd like to say on the program, you're welcome to call. It is the Upfront program, and uh, we are doing open line conversation. We opened up with um, uh, some uh, general topics. Uh, I brought up the surveillance camera issue um, at the beginning of the program, and uh, he decided to um, pick it up here at the tail end of the program. And I guess it has to do with um, whether you feel like um, these things are worth um, what he says and is an invasion of privacy. But um, these cameras certainly have helped uh, in a lot of uh, circumstances. So it's really uh, what they call the double-edged sword. Um, you give up something, I guess. Um, um, you give up the your, your right to be photographed or, or your image recorded. I should say would probably be a better way of describing digital. Uh, your image recorded uh, in exchange for... Uh, the next uh, 10 minutes, uh, that image recorded could be somebody killing um, killing a relative of yours or involved in an accident in which they claim. You know, when accidents take place, one of the things that police officers say is that 
each party says it wasn't their fault. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> right. It's amazing. Right. Massachusetts has that covered with no fault. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, therefore, uh, you know, can the camera uh, be of assistance? But, hey, it depends on how you feel about civil liberties. This is the Upfront program. Well, I want to cover, uh, I'm, uh, it's after Labor Day, so my mind is all Autumn Fest right now, and uh, it's getting exciting as we will be bringing you more and more releases that come from Autumn Fest. Joe Callahan sent one in yesterday, by the way. <coughs> welcome back to the Autumn Fest Steering Committee, Joe Callahan. Uh, and it re- involves sports and fitness. Uh, also this year, uh, Kristen Quinn, the Executive Director of the Winsocket YMCA, I believe you've interviewed her a number of times, Roger, mm-hmm. is a new to the Autumn Fest Committee and has taken on sports and fitness for 2021. And here's what's happening. Uh, for the first time ever, the Woonsocket Steering Committee is partnering with the George Nasuti Novins Pride Committee to bring their annual 5K fundraiser to be part of Autumn Fest, normally held on Memorial Day weekend. It's the first year the event will be held during Autumn Fest. It will take place on the Sunday, October 10th. Columbus Day weekend. It's a run, walk, or in my case, a sweaty stroll. Uh, It'll start at 8 a.m. The cost will be $20 per entry. It is a fundraiser, and the funds raised will uh, be going to scholarships to local Woonsocket graduates. Sign up. You can visit runsignup.com. Well, there's a big extension here. Uh, Basically, just go to the gym LLC. You'll never remember the (laughs) URL I'd have to spit out for that one. It's a mile long. Um, You can stop by the gym gym LLC on Diamond Hill Road in Woonsocket and sign up for this Run Walk event. You can also probably, I assume it doesn't say, but you can go to check out autumnfest.org. There's a lot of contact there if you want more information on that you can click on sports and fitness also new this year roger is a three-on-three basketball tournament maybe wnri should put a three-man team together you want in with me yeah sure absolutely yeah um three-on-three of course is a big push this year it debuted in the olympics uh didn't get much television coverage because of the five-on-five basketball but three-on-three is more of an open game and if you have a terrific iso player you can take a tournament uh, that's isolation player, Roger. I thought I'd, I'd break that down for you. The tournament starts Friday night, October 8th, under the lights from 6 to 9 p.m. of Columbus Day weekend. It'll continue on Saturday morning, October 9th at 10 a.m. And the tournament will continue until the championship game. There's three separate age brackets ranging from 10 to over the age of 18. The entry fee for 10 to 17-year-olds will be $25 per team. $50 for 18 and older. For prizes for the tournament, 10 to 17-year-olds will receive gift cards, and 18 and over will have cash prize to the winning team. And also, the fan favorite Cornhole Tournament will be back and will take place Saturday 4 to 6 p.m. with more than enough time to stop by, as they say, their beer tent afterwards, eh? Uh, cash prizes will be awarded to the winners of the Cornhole Tournament. So, Kristen Quinn's first year on the Unfest Steering Committee. If you'd like to speak with her about these sport and fitness events, you can give her a call at 401-769-0791. Autumn Fest coming soon. All right, and before we, uh, we're going to have a little break, if you want to get a, a quick uh, message in or a quick call in, you can at 769-0600. Back in a moment. The go-to place for authentic Italian dining is Savini's Pomodoro Italian Kitchen and Bar. Over 20 Italian dishes made to order from our menu or experience our Sicilian-style pizza. Build your own while you choose from your veggies, meats and cheeses, and of course our traditional family-style chicken dinner is offered every day. Savini's Pomodoro on Rathbun Street with affordable accommodations for weddings, birthdays, anniversaries, and business meetings. Close Mondays open Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at 4, Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays at noon. For reservations, call 762-5114. That's 762-5114. Savini's Pomodoro Italian Kitchen and Bar, 476 Rathbun Street, Woonsocket. Time out for Champs Liquors for Keyway, 481 Clinton Street, Woonsocket. Champs reintroduces flip-flop wines. And listen to this. We have two bottles of flip-flop for $10, including Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, 
pink Moscato, regular Moscato, Chardonnay, and Pinot Grigio. Again, two bottles for $10. Mix and match. Still on sale, Tisdale Wines from California in six varieties, including Pinot Grigio, Merlot, Cabernet, White Zinfandel, Chardonnay, and Moscato choices. And yes, it's two bottles for $10. Share in life's endless possibilities with Tisdale Vineyard's quality wine experiences. And we continue the best price in town on Bud and Bud Light 30-pack, $26.47 plus tax. New hours for the convenience of customers, 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. daily. So, for a great selection of beer, wine, and spirits, you can count on Champs Liquors. 481 Clinton Street. Have a question? 765-1800 and speak to Mike the Manager. Kayer Kosher, your accounting, financial planning, tax preparation, and business consulting services of Woonsocket and Warwick, 600 Cass Avenue, Woonsocket, Jefferson Boulevard, and Warwick. Call us locally at 766-8100. Remember, outside of the tax season, we do planning for business, individuals, and families. We're Kayer Kosher. We're certified public accountants. Again, our local number, 766-8100. And remember, having Kayer Kosher to consult with on your personal financial situation is like having all the right answers. Hi, this is Scott Gibbs. It's a weekly radio program on WNRI called Your Town, dedicated to discussing the future of small cities like Woonsocket. The world is changing at an accelerating rate, and cities like ours needs to keep pace and maintain economic relevance. Join me each Wednesday at 6 p.m. for a conversation regarding your town's future. Scott Gibbs is president of the Economic Development Foundation of Rhode Island and welcomes your calls to the program. All right, thank you. And um, one of the things that um, I'm going to ask Scott to uh, talk about uh, tonight, uh, Scott Gibbs, is um, is uh, the Amazon uh, location of a major warehouse here in Rhode Island. This is economic development at probably its highest level. Uh, does a warehouse that has uh, basically pickers, is that equivalent to... 50 years ago, a manufacturing facility like at Hasbro actually producing toys on the manufacturing line. Is this the replacement for well, what we would call the manufacturing operations? Because nothing will be manufactured at that Johnston uh, warehouse. It's all manufactured somewhere else, brought in and picked to go on the trucks to go out for distribution. Is that economic development? We'll talk about that from the guy who knows more about economic development, I think, uh, in the area than anybody else. Scott Gibbs, tonight at 6.05 on Your Town. That's it for us. Thank you, Jeff, and good day, everybody. WNRI's Upfront, presented weekday mornings at 8 a.m. Upfront is a regular public affairs presentation of News Talk 1380, WNRI Socket.